Coming Up Next Time podcast is brought to you in part by Built to Ride. Head over to builttoride.ca and pick up some coffee or apparel. Use the exclusive listener code COMEUP when you check out for an additional 20% off your order. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Barry Moore. This week, I want to take a moment to thank the wonderful people over at the Thorn Valley Ranch, Amy, Cole, Wiley, Levi, and Marshall. They've been great to us. They opened their home to us and showed us a wonderful weekend. So I just want to thank you guys. My next guest has lived a life of adventure, a true motorcycle enthusiast, perhaps even an addict. He has many career highlights, such as eight times New Zealand Enduro overall champion, three-time Roof of Africa winner. He has also been on the podium seven times at the Red Bull Romaniacs, including winning it in 2010. He has competed successfully in the world's biggest enduro races, such as Erzberg, Red Bull, Last Man Standing, Hell's Gate, ISDE, WEC, and EEC. He famously coined the phrase, say no to slow, and developed that into an instructional video series. Coming up next, this is Chris Birch. lot of women riders and uh, a big part of their success as riders hasn't been their physical self as much as been their technical self like they Mm -hmm. focused on the technical skills their balance and everything and that's given them the speed and i wonder if a lot of guys are still macho you know and they try to push the bike around where i I, i've heard you say you finesse the bike through and well yeah yeah, we should probably get into it because we're we're going to start treading over the same round yeah Yeah. but yeah, one of the uh, one of the things that always gets me, guys. Like, oh, it's amazing how you muscle that twelve ninety through the bush. I'm like, hey, you think I muscle a two hundred and thirty kilogram bike through the bush? I'm gonna muscle it. No way. <laughs> no, do I look like the sort of person that muscles a two hundred and thirty kilogram bike? I work with it and ask it really nicely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You really and need to. You need to be the rock. You need to be Dwayne Johnson to muscle one of those things around. Heck yes. <laughs> like, yeah, I could see him walking out of the bush with it over his shoulder if, yeah. if it didn't do what he wanted. <laughs> but for like, like, I, yeah, I mean, it is, a, it's a finesse thing. And I'm learning that off road. Um, so on the road, I could get what I needed out of, out of a motorcycle, right? Like a sport bike mm-hmm. on the track, like uh, road racing and things like that. And it was just like inputs and, and listening and what have you. I used to say that my sport bike spoke to me in Japanese and uh, and I learned that, but my uh, my KTM doesn't. It speaks to me in Austrian, and I haven't figured out that language. Yeah, and, yeah. So I just try to like try and understand what it's telling me as I'm riding, uh, because I'm used to a different kind of inputs. Yeah, it's funny you said that. Like I can't remember what bike I was riding, but we we had that same conversation. Like, like this thing doesn't speak dirt bike. Like it's speaking some other language. I can't remember what it was we were riding. It was the BMW 450 that came out years ago. And they're just heinous things. Yeah, yeah, this thing doesn't speak dirt bike. Like it's got some weird dialect. We don't (laughs) understand each other. Yeah, same analogy. Yeah. I mean, it's perfect because you are used to a certain kind of input. Like you you ask the bike something and it tells you something back. And then it's just like the hard thing for me was traction. So I'm used to like feeling locked onto the earth on the tarmac with like warm tires and then yeah on a dirt bike it just feels like i'm riding in snow and now i've, right. I've got a better feeling but like yeah 
it just so it was weird for, for me getting into the adventure bike stuff when i started getting out the big adventure bike i could hold a higher average speed down a gravel road and a dirt road than i could on a tar road oh crazy like if my tires moved a little bit on the tar well ah, ah, that's it i'm out pack it up done oh. going home but then you get on the gravel and just like you know there's two lines the whole way no problem yeah yeah because um, I've been having to really work on it, but I'm getting better on the road now. But yeah, it's 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 an interesting struggle. Like we're doing the riding schools and stuff. Most a lot, a lot of guys in the adventure bikes are str- coming from road on the dirt and struggling with that. Yeah, and I've got the exact same struggle just going the other way. You don't you don't like the traction? <laughs> You're used to just a little bit of a little bit of. Gear. Oh, it's it's trust. I, I just don't. I don't. It's finding that trust in the tires that you can actually load that thing up in the corner so much and it's not going to let go. And yeah, and, and you know, everything's backwards. You know, hang off the inside, drop your elbow, lean your head in. Like, that's what you do when you want to crash off road if you're trying to throw the thing on the dirt. So, every alarm system on my brain's going, No, don't do it. And as I come at the turn, I force myself to, like, actually. The bike really likes this. It does. But then that transfer in is just like, yeah, all, all those alarm bells, uh, Keith Codes calls them uh, survival reactions or survival instincts. And uh, yeah. they're almost always counter to what you're supposed to do. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, you're, you're, you're drifting off the lane, like you're going wide in a turn and uh, you can see the post. Don't look at the post. Continue to look through the turn. You want to roll yeah. off the throttle because things are going crazy, but no, get more on the throttle and it'll tighten up. Yeah. Just like you got to learn to just do the, do the total opposite of everything that feels natural. You'll be fine. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then <laughs> compound that. Like I've learned how to do everything that's not natural. And now everything that's natural seems to be more in line with off-road. Like yeah, the way your brain thinks how it's going to work works more off-road than yeah that's interesting yeah i mean obviously for me my, my brain's hardwired for that off-road stuff but it feels so logical yeah but yeah the, the road bike stuff is just like voodoo i mean obviously there's, there's similarities like you know there's brake control and vision and all that sort of stuff they're all and they're all pretty similar but the the one that really got me because i've been going to do some riding schools on the on the road bikes to so trying to level up on this you know, and I got my head around leaning to the outside, you know, dropping my elbow, all that sort of stuff that you're supposed to do. And it feels good. It does genuinely feel good. Then the guy's like, okay, now you just need to get way further back on the seat. Like, get further back on the seat. You're too far from, nah, pack it up, mate. But there's no way I'm going around a corner hanging off the back of this. You can get stuff. Well, you need to, like, um, you need to sort of, like, dirt, I guess you're waiting the front tire and drifting out the back. Uh, on the road, you need to make sure that you have uh, weight on the back tire, kind of even weight, sort of. Maybe we'll call it like a uh, a sixty forty split, and uh, you know, and so you need more front traction. You just apply a little bit more brake, uh, and then to get a little more back traction, a little more throttle, and you're like moving the machine and taking advantage of the suspension in a way that is alien to you in every single way. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think a big part of it as well is like being on big, long travel adventure bikes. You've got so much more movement in the chassis and that sort of thing going as well. And Yeah. Having your ass at the back and, and sort of only on one cheek with your knee and elbow. Yeah. No good. No, no, no good will come from it. <laughs> I wish this wasn't an audio only podcast. Cause if people saw your face, they'd be, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, 
you moved from you were like an, uh, a dirt bike guy and then you uh and you were, you learned trials apparently from a vhs uh <laughs> yeah and then um uh and then and then you got into in enduro and you've been killing it ever since kind of thing like yeah yeah so i i, I started off like i guess the best way to describe i'm just a, i'm a motorbike rider I, I like motorbikes um and that that's sort of just instilled from my family like my my mom and dad both motorbike riders uh, dad's competed quite a bit you know not not to uh he had a bit of success but it wasn't like an amazing you know com- competitor uh, but just lifelong motorbike riders. You know, my my mum went to all her antenatal classes on a trials bike. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So it, yeah, so just always been around motorbikes, and I started off in trials because uh, my parents uh, immigrated from the UK to New Zealand. Okay. Um, and you know, it, it took them a while to get established over here, and they, they you know couldn't afford to, to race and ride over here. So they but they bought my dad's old classic uh, trials bike with them. Like a 1963 Greaves vintage trials bike, and vintage trials was actually quite popular in New Zealand. Lots of people were doing it, so I just grew up going to these vintage trials with my dad and just following them around on my PW50 Yamaha. So we kind of just progressed through trials like that, and then yeah, kind of got to about 16 somewhere around there. And oh, sorry, we've got okay. a little puppy that's going to freak out. That's all right. Oh, I'm sorry. Come on, come on, pal. You're okay. Sorry about that. Oh, it's okay, buddy. Little dog. Um, yeah, so it's kind of got a bit bored of trials. So it's a very small sport in New Zealand, and you know, you, you, you know, competing against the same guys, the same venues, doing the same courses, and a little bit Groundhog Day. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, got into enduros, and yeah, sort of went from there. But what what really uh, helped me out though, like where I really got my start, was when the sport of extreme enduro started to kick off. Okay. Because I had this trials background, um, and I still really liked like, the trials style of doing things, but we could only ever afford one bike. Yeah. So I ended up, you know, I sold my trials bike and bought a KDX 200 and started racing that in Enduros. But I was still always playing around doing trial stuff on my KDX just because it, it made me happy. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Um, so I was accidentally training and practicing for a sport that didn't exist yet. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Eh? Like, <laughs> looking looking back at it in retrospect, sort of thing. Yeah, um, like I used to put trials tires on my KDX and, and go and do a trial because I wanted to still ride occasionally with my old trials friends, but I we couldn't afford two bikes. So yeah, perfect. How is it like yeah. doing trialsy stuff on a dirt bike? Like, uh, well, that's hard enduros now. Yeah, I know it, it essentially is. Eh? <laughs> Yeah, it literally is. Like it's we joke, we just call it retarded trials. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, guys, and now we get into adventure bikes and we're doing retarded enduros on the on the, on the big adventure bikes. <laughs> and <laughs> you you like you ride your adventure bike like it weighs seventy five pounds, eh? Like yeah, I mean it's just it's where I, where I got really lucky with the adventure bike stuff was I had a nine fifty um, KTM, which was just basically I. I own. I, I actually I bought that with my prize money that I got from winning Red Bull Romaniacs. That's awesome. So, yeah, bought all this cash home and went and went and bought this adventure bike, and that was just my bike from myself, and my wife, just to explore New Zealand on. And we we're having great times with that and going some pretty out of the way places. 
And then when the KTM 1190 came out, uh, it was a really quite a different bike to like the 990s and, and what, what those previous bikes looked like. And there was a lot of um, backlash against that bike. And a lot of, you know, like forum guys, are, ah, this is a road bike. You can't take these things off road. So the guy from KTM New Zealand, uh, actually, he, he gave me an 1190 and said, look, just see what you can actually do on this thing. And if it's good off road, can you take some photos and videos, just kind of shut these guys up. So it kind of gave me free reign to go and play around on this, you know, really expensive motorbike and actually see what it could do. Um, and so we, we did that. And then we, we shot a video just because it would be fun uh, of just sliding and skidding around in the mud on the, on the adventure bike. And then the guys started using that as a, so the, the dealers started to use it as like a sales tool. You know, someone comes into the dealership, ah, oh, you can't really take these things off road. Not check out this video, mate. And that started getting things going, and then that, this was becoming more and more common. And so KTM Australia asked us, you know, if they gave us a little bit of money, a bit of, a bit of cash, can we uh, make another video, a better video, which we did, and, and, and that blew up. And then all of a sudden, I was the adventure bike guy. That's awesome. And, yeah, so it's been really good because I was, I was still doing all the, the hard enduro stuff at the same time, but as my, you know, I guess is that the hard enduro sort of enthusiasm for that peaked, it was a nice kind of way to still tick many of the boxes of, of what I was enjoying with the Hardinger stuff. So like the main things I enjoyed the most with the Hardinger stuff was riding motorbikes in new places, meeting new people and having a good adventure. And now with the adventure bike, I could do all that sort of stuff without the pressure of racing, without having to do all the crazy training, way easier on the family. And yeah, I mean, to be honest, I probably would have rather be doing it on the 300 to start off with, but hey, if I do it on 1190, then it's better than not doing it. And That's fair. I, I get the yeah. And, and that, sorry. Oh, it's, I, I get the impression that you only ever started to ride motorcycles to go places. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was that was a kind of a cool thing that my parents instilled in me as well. Like, oh, when we were kids, we used to go for what they call like family trail rides. Yeah. So I would have been like four or five. Um, so I'd, I'd sit on the tank with my mum, and my dad would have my two-year-old daughter in a backpack and they'd just go riding across the mountains all day into some other town, have like fish and chips on the beach, then ride all the way back again. And so the yeah, motorbikes have always just been like a, a tool for adventure. And I, all, all the hard enduro racing stuff that I did, it was always, you know, the crack, the fun was the adventure, you know. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Going to all these like out of the way countries and like, do you want to come and do a race in Panama? Like, hell yeah. I've never been to Panama. And yeah. And I think a big thing for me as well is because I was never making any money out of it. No, I don't. It was just all about, it was all about the fun. Right. So, you know, a lot of guys like, do you want to come and do a race in Panama? Ah, yeah, but I'll need my mechanic and I'll need a bike of this standard. And you know, what's the race going to be like? Whereas I was more like, you guys are going to pay for me to come to Panama. I'm in, let's go. That's awesome. You know, I, I can fix my own bike. I'll sleep on the floor, whatever. Let's just go. That sounds like fun. That's, so it, was, it, it allowed me to go some really cool places and have some, some great adventures. I, I imagine your uh, lack of being a prima donna really helped your career. You know, like. It's pretty hard to be a prima donna in New Zealand. I think so. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, as a culture, we don't suffer it either. But like, I, I remember like, when, I, when I won Romaniacs, like, I like, came back from Romania winning this big race like you've been on national tv signing autographs all that sort of stuff 
showing up back to work and the boss like, so how'd the race go? Yeah, 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 good. Uh, I want it. Oh, okay, great. Well, this thing's working on, this thing's working on, this is our program coming up. Okay, so like we, we can't, you've been away for a couple of weeks now, so we really need you to double down. So, you know, you come back with this big inflated self-ego sort of thing yeah. and just get that smashed out of you straight away with like, you know, 12-hour days in overalls. Like, you know, good luck being a prima donna now, it. That's awesome. <laughs> Living in reality. Uh, it's like. Yeah, yeah. So you keep getting smacked out. Any, anytime you start writing checks to yourself, you know, reality kind of kicks in again. But it was, it was, it was weird. It was kind of like living through that stage. It was kind of like living two lives. Like you go to race overseas and it's like nice hotels and good support and fancy races and stuff. And okay, going to a race in New Zealand, sleeping in the van. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> like a gypsy. <laughs> like, but, it, but it's all like, it, 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 you, it, you, can, you can say it in a way that tries to make you sound heroic, but in reality, it was all just bloody good fun. Yeah, no, I imagine. Yeah, it's like uh, you get to see, like you get to see the world. Uh, your passion got you a free ticket, not, not necessarily free, but got you an invitation around the world to go see all these places and take part in all these great uh, adventures. Like, uh, yeah. you know, like some guys could be so lucky. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, uh, and I'm very aware of how fortunate I was, was to be able to, to do all that. Yeah. Oh, I, I get that impression. Like, I don't think you take it for granted at all. Uh, I hope not. Yeah. No, I genuinely hope not. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so you've been like, you've been here to, to Canada and uh, you've ridden all around. Um, one of the things that stands out from a trip that you had here, probably your last trip, you were camping with a friend of mine, and uh, like you're not with him, but you guys are side by each, and you were just sort of campfire chatting. And he'd said that you'd mentioned how much you really liked this area because there's just so much uh, to do. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love Canada. But yeah, for, for like if, if I couldn't live anywhere in the world, I'd live in Canada for sure. Sorry, if I couldn't live in New Zealand, I'd live in, in Canada. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, that's fair. And so I kind of just, I pretty much had enough of Romaniacs. Like I'd done it nine times in a row. Yeah. And one of the things that, that sucked a lot, sorry, going back a bit, one of the things that sucked about doing all those trips was, you know, you fly into a country, do the race, meet all the people, suss out where all the good riding is, get all these good opportunities to go places and they go, Oh, sorry, I've got to go home. Okay. So and I was, and I was really sick of doing that. So I flew out to Canada, did, did a whole bunch of riding schools out on the, on the West coast. I'm just like, Oh my God, this place is cool. Same thing. Met a whole bunch of people, figured out where all the good riding was time to go home. Now nah, stuff it. Right, we're not doing this again. Yeah. So the next, the, the plan from there was, uh, we, um, Decided not to go into Romaniacs, and I I flew in a week early and bought a dodgy old GMC truck and uh, old secondhand camper, and brought the family with us. and We spent uh, nearly four months traveling across Canada the first time. That's insane. And it was, it was so much fun. But my my wife's face when she saw the truck when I picked her up from the airport was so funny. <laughs> this big redneck ex forestry truck that we just don't have in New Zealand. And yeah, I mean, it used to leak. Whether it was raining or sunny, your feet would get wet as you drove it because it was something was leaking the whole time. Oh, crazy! It was a bit of a wreck. But but it was a it was. I mean, we had we had fifteen thousand dollars to do the whole project. Yeah. That's of fair. buying a new cam- a new to us camper and a new new truck. Yeah, that's fair. Man. And uh, I think the guy, yeah, the guys thought we were never going to make it out of BC, but you know, 
I'm reasonably mechanical. We managed to nurse that thing all the way across Canada and back twice. <laughs> but yeah, so so we thought, oh, let's. The plan was to try and do a few writing schools to kind of pay for it. So, uh, you know, basically to, to have this really cool experience traveling across Canada and you know being able to just do enough schools to kind of support it. Yeah. And all those schools sell sold down like a week. I thought, oh my gosh, like we're missing out on an opportunity here. So it was kind of turned around from being okay. You know, we're coming to Canada for, to do a holiday. To, we're coming to Canada to do writing schools and have a holiday. And it, it was it was sick. Like, just such a nice way to live. Just, yeah, with my family, N- not me going everywhere. My daughter was only three or four then, so she was at a really fun age. She's at a fun age all the time, but she was an extra fun age then. Yeah, I understand. Um, yeah, and we just fell in love with the place from there and just met so many nice people. But, I mean, I don't want to blow smoke up your guys' asses, but, like, Canadians are some of the most welcoming, friendliest people I've ever met. And the way you guys do your races and your events is so cool, but so family orientated, um, really good. Uh, that, that fallen timber race, for example, like if the race is on the Saturday, people start showing up on the Thursday and don't go home until the Sunday. And, you know, just, just camping out, hanging out. That's so cool. And we're, unfortunately, we've lost that in New Zealand a bit, but it needs to be brought back somehow. Well, hopefully after um... – the world returns to normal uh people have realized how important a connection with others is and then they'll get back to yeah it, you know and it, it was cool in the early days of the hard enduro world even the international events were they were very similar to that like it was it was kind of a circuit of guys going around and no one was really making any real money or anything at that stage so it was it was super friendly and it was quite quite similar, even though we're competing at a world level. I, I, that has to have changed now that there's so much more money involved. Yeah. And I, I kind of I remember being at a race when it kind of I first felt it changing. It was uh, Red Bull Sea to Sky. Okay. And I won't mention who the rider was because it's not polite. Um, he was just death steering me at the at the um, on the start line. Like I'm like, hey, are you trying to psych me out? Like I'm here on holiday, holiday. <laughs> Find someone else. That's awesome. Go away. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it was just, yeah, it all comes back to, like, you know, good times and, and having fun. And yeah. I think that's what gives people longevity in the sport. I think so. I think if you're having fun, it's easier to do. Like, Oh, yeah. But if you focus on race results, like, the guy, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but the guys that focus on race results don't ride bikes that long. Okay. The guys that just, like, you know guys that I've raced with for years and the guys are really, really focused on winning, focused on, I mean, not that it's a bad thing, but they don't ride their bikes that long. I get it. You know, yeah, the competitive edge fails and then what you want out of the sport isn't there anymore. But I just like, for me, I like riding motorbikes Yeah. and I got quite good at it. So the racing side of it was a logical extension of liking riding motorbikes. I get it. But yeah. So of all the bikes you've owned, uh, like you don't have to say your new bike is your favorite bike, but like, uh, cause I know you're like contractor <laughs> contracts and all that stuff, which bike was like the most fun to ride, like got you to the coolest spots. It's so hard to remember the bike cause it's more, you know, it's, it's cliche, but it's more about the ride and the experience than the actual bike. Yeah, it certainly is. If I'm being honest, probably my XR 200. Okay. When I was, you know, when I was like a young kid and we used to go for these huge, like, I don't know what my parents were thinking. We used to go for these huge, like, day-long adventures. Like, we'd stash fuel cans in the bush and ride all the way up the beach, up into this big sand dune area. Like, no cell phone reception. Not that we had cell phones anyway. But we yeah. were, like, 
We do like a 100K loop on XR200s as complete moron kids into the middle of nowhere. And like, we got away with it. Like, I remember one guy, uh, they had a big crash and broke, uh, burst, he ended up bursting his spleen. Oh, God. I'm like, I'm like, you're all right, Jimmy. You'll be okay. Shake it off, mate. Let's go. Because <laughs> there was no other option. You just had to, we had to get this poor dude back. Like, get back to the, you don't look so good, mate. <laughs> like, dropping him off back at his mom's place. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Jimmy had a crash. <laughs> Broken. <laughs> yeah. So I reckon it's not, not, you know, it's definitely not the right answer, but probably my dirty old Honda XR200 was probably the biggest adventure. I think it's had. the best answer, man. Like, there's, there's probably a more refined corporate answer somewhere out there, but I I like that one. Yeah. Having said that, and this is not – I'm absolutely in love with my new 890. It's so cool. Okay. Because it's it's a big turn point for adventure bikes. Like they're going away from – it's the bike that sort of turned adventure bikes more into the off-road dirt bikes, away from, you know, the, the, the big, you know, the big, you know, road – off-road capable – the best way to describe it, it's, an, it's a road-capable dirt bike rather than an off-road capable road bike. Yep, I understand. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the, the places you can go on that thing, is just and the speed and the way you can hit a trail on it is so much fun. How's the suspension? Like uh, my, my always thought with, with the adventure bikes is that everything is, is tighter, like lower clearance and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's pretty amazing. I, I'm, I'm very, very spoiled. Like I've got the WP Pro Spec, you know, top-of-the-line suspension in it. And you can hit stuff on that like it's a stock enduro bike. Okay, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it is. That's the right word. It's crazy. You're riding longer. Oh my god, this thing is insane. Uh, yeah, you're a big like a big gearhead. Hey, like you really love um, tuned up suspensions and all like the little the uh, like the not mods per se because uh, I understand you're not a big mods guy, but like. But things like suspension, that's that's a good place to put money in, in as far as I understand. Oh, yeah. But, but ask, ask any race of that. Yeah. Like, they'll give you the same answer. Like, where do you spend your money? Tires and suspension. Yeah. And gas. But that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you can have all little shiny covers and silly things. And there's lots of crutches that people get as well. They're just, it blows me away how many guys have all these stupid little things on their bike they spent loads of money on, but they're riding stock suspension. Like, that's, that's madness. That makes sense. Like, uh, like uh, from your point of view, that makes sense. It, what you're describing does not make sense. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Why not? Oh no, no. I mean, like spending all the money on the flash, but I guess it also matters what kind of ride you're going to do. Like, um, like I, I can remember just on the street bikes, some guys would go get a new street bike and they just start replacing perfectly good stock parts for flash parts. Sometimes, aftermarket like, not even as good like as like shiny stuff. anodized bits yeah. and stuff or yeah. Yeah. yeah and it was just like to me it was a waste of money i was putting money on tires because if you rode hard enough you'd go through tires right like I, yeah i guess you could say it's a waste of money but if it's not if it makes you happy then it's not then it's not a waste of money like I, I've, I, a good mate of mine like i always just give him all sorts of crap because he won't come out riding with us when it's muddy and his bike's always immaculate and you know, and then I had a bit of a like, I don't know, talking about an epiphany one day. I'm like, who am I to tell him he's he's enjoying his bike wrong? That's fair. Like, for me, it seems retarded. Yeah, but it's, we because it's like a preservation approach. So it's just absolutely started pouring down. That's that. That's okay. Wow, I can see it. I the noise. The sounds okay. 
That's all good, man. Um, yeah, but who am I to tell him how to enjoy his motorbike, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. In my mind, I think he's doing it completely wrong, but who am I to say? But, yeah, but, like, from a, from a performance point of view and especially as a racer trying to go faster, especially in off-road, suspension and tires, that's where it's at. Because, I, like, uh, I've, I never – the first few sets of tires that I had, I couldn't appreciate them. Then I've had some new different tires. Like, like I guess I have under 200 hours on a, on a dirt bike, right? So I'm still figuring it out. But like what I like, I have no idea. And uh, yeah, the problem is the same. And this is the thing with suspension: the, the the best you know is the best you've ridden. Yes. Yeah. 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 So if if your bike set up is the best bike you've ever ridden, then it's not you know you don't know what you're missing out on. Yeah, that's true enough. Like uh, yeah, I I don't know. I have it somewhat set up. I still I'll dial it in this summer and we'll see what's going on. Like uh, I'm enjoying right. it. It's still. I'm I'm not rider enough for all of that that it's capable of just as it is. So <laughs> we'll uh Yeah, these are all traps these are all traps to fall into as well though. Oh you know, guys, oh no, I uh, I'm not fast enough to need my suspension doing. I'm not a good enough rider for that, mate. So you're not gonna get your bike set up properly because you're not good enough. You're gonna make your bike harder to ride because you're not good enough. That's that's an odd oh. way of looking at it. Well, no, I, I like uh, I set my sag and I, I had my I lowered my suspension because I'm a short guy and all that kind of stuff. I've done some things, but I haven't put enough yeah. time in uh, to start mucking with like to, to to feel the progress yet. Like it's still a work in progress. It's yeah. not dialed. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, uh, it's a big focus for me. But right now it feels really nice. Uh, it's doing yeah. what I want it to do. And and uh, and the, it's telling me what I want to hear. So mm-hmm. I'll just wait until I've sort of like figured out what I'm feeling and then look for the holes and try to fix that, I guess. Yeah. So I, I had to ride, uh, I had to, to suffer, I had to <laughs> suffer through riding a stock motorcycle today. Brutal. Uh, we're organizing a ride, uh, an adventure bike ride. So I've been out on, my, on a stock 350 EXE today. And, oh, my gosh, I was working so hard just riding around the trail compared to my, my personal bike. Which is I've, I've got the suspension away getting service at the moment, which is why I wasn't riding it. But man, I'm just having to work. I wasn't going flat out or anything. But I was just having to work harder everywhere oh, because it's just the the feedback is is the is bike harder. is just all over the place. Okay, <laughs> like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. washing out that kind of stuff. Yeah, bouncing off stuff, loading up in the turns too much, flapping around the place, and you know I was fine. I was getting down the trail just fine, but I was working twenty percent harder everywhere. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. sounds. It does sound rough then when you think about it. <laughs> like it was kind of fun, like <laughs> bouncing off it, flapping off the back. But yeah, yeah, suspension's absolutely everything in my mind. Yeah, but when I was racing all these, you know, hard enduro stuff, I would travel. I would take like the absolute bare minimum, like just my riding gear, change of undies, socks, couple of t-shirts, so I would have enough weight allowance to take my suspension with me. That's awesome. Because you just you would rent like a bike at the destination and just bring your suspension along. Uh, normally, I just blag a bike off someone and yeah, yeah, but just bring my suspension with me. That's awesome. Like, well, I mean, it makes sense because then it'll feel like what you're used to every single time. Yeah, and once you get once you get it dialed in, you're kind of scared not to ride. It gets scary to ride a bike without it. Yeah, do you get superstitious then? Nah, not really. 
I just wondered, like, because some no. guys get that way too. They put a lot of energy into something, uh, and then they're afraid to make changes because they're like afraid, you know, instead of like. Uh, so when like uh, you, you launched you launched um, a Chris Birch say no to slow video program, right? Yeah, yeah. So so the background to that was uh, you know previous to COVID, I was getting all these requests to kind of come around the world and you know do writing sources. You know, lovely, lovely problem to have. Yeah. But you get, you get, you know, some guy get in touch. Like, hey, will you come? I, I really need some help. Will you come into a school in Nicaragua? Like, oh, come on, bro. I'm not actually going to fly to Nicaragua to do a writing school for three people. Like, that's not going to work. So we were trying to, we tried to film this series of uh, like how tos to kind of basically, I wanted a nice way to let these guys down gently. So, yeah. Like, yeah, I know you need some help. I don't want you to go out and hurt yourself. I can't get there. But here, watch this. This will help you. That's and then, uh, yeah, and then COVID came along and pretty much my whole plan for income last year involves international travel. Yeah. Either, yeah. either me going somewhere or people coming here uh, for tours and rides uh, of schools. So that was pretty scary. But then at the same time, we basically had three hours of video footage, instructional footage ready to sell a whole world that had been locked up inside the houses with nothing to do. So it was pretty good timing. Um, <laughs> really could it, have done it, was it all, better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, but when, so in New Zealand, we had a really, uh, a really hard lockdown for about five or six weeks. And you no, know, I was, I'll admit, I was absolutely freaking out. I, you know, what are we going to do? I have you know, nothing to fall back on. I have no way to support my family. Ah! Oh my god! And uh, yeah, it was pretty stressful. Um, all you know, all plans for year for the year and income all wiped out. Um, but then, thankfully, we had this video series to launch. And oh, okay, hopefully this this will go well. And yeah, it it did. It, it saved our asses last year. That's amazing. And so it's been yeah. I, I've lost track of how many it's been, people have downloaded it, but it's like been downloaded in over a hundred countries now, Gee. which is pretty cool. That, yeah, yeah, that is that's half is, the world, man. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So it's you know, and we've had really, really good feedback from it. So a lot of guys like, yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can learn from video. It's not as good as having someone there in person. But uh, if you can't be there, it's better than nothing, right? That's fair. We've had really positive feedback from it. So it's been really a a really nice thing to do. So we've just finished filming the, uh, the little bike, the dirt bike version of it. So hopefully that should be all edited up and ready to go in the next couple of months. The little bike. That's hilarious. <laughs> Makes them sound like the, no, the normal bike rather yeah. than the giant bike. <laughs> it's like the you, you fellas in on your dirt bikes or the PW fifties, whatever. <laughs> you guys will benefit from yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I've got to be careful. I end up getting like typecasted as the adventure bike car, but I still ride my enduro bike way more than I ride my adventure bike. That's fair. I mean, uh, it. Do you do you do you try to ride your adventure bike uh, in the trials style? Is, is that comical? Uh, nah, I don't know. For me, it all gets a bit blurry. Like it, yeah. I get it. almost peeves me. It pisses me off a bit. Like when we're doing an enduro bike school, and I'll describe a technique to someone, and they'll go, "Oh yeah, that's like a trials thing, eh?" I'm like, nah, "It's more of a riding a motorbike off road sort of a thing. Like, yeah. not really a trials thing." This is a dirt bike riding thing. And then when we do the adventure bike schools, guys go, oh, yeah, that's like an enduro bike thing. Like, again, not really. It's more of just a riding a motorcycle off-road technique. Yeah. Um, I think people get caught up in the, in the – and there are differences, of course, but 
people get really caught up on the, is it a trials thing? Is it an enduro thing? Is it an adventure thing? A lot of it's just riding motorbikes off road. Well, and it's, I find the same thing with brands. Like um, people will think that a certain brand of bike can't do a certain thing. And like, I, oh, I, yeah. I'm pretty confident that like, if you put a competent rider on any machine, they could get similar results. Like, you know, the, I mean, you know, top speeds being different and, and torque being different. Like some things will be more challenging from one brand to the next because the way they sort of set things yeah. up. But like, I don't know that, like I've ridden um, a, a Honda and a Husqvarna and like I missed the Honda kind of sort of because it did what I wanted it to do. And, uh, right. and the Husqvarna, I'm having a harder time getting the same like input and return, you know, like, uh, okay. But I think yeah, you, you go back. You go back to what you're talking about, like bikes. You know, talking to you. Yeah, slightly different dialects, different accents, right? So you kind of got to get dialed well, into it. Yeah, and, and and like most of my motorcycles have been a Honda, so I'm used to sort of like their geometry and and clutch and and just sort of like the way their engine feels, right? Like, and then, yeah, yeah, uh, and you know, I guess all the other bikes I've ridden have been four strokes, and this is a two stroke, so it's just a different animal. Right, yeah. So the whole two-stroke, four-stroke thing is quite a big jump, eh? Yeah. But it's, yeah. I, I'm lucky, like, I, I, I flip between bikes all the time, so I don't get too caught up in it. But, um, yeah, it's it's definitely th – th there's some adaptations to make between the two-stroke and the four-stroke. I think it's harder for four-stroke guys to get on a two-stroke than it is for two-stroke guys to get on a four-stroke. I could buy that. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. cause it's just like, you relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Things like momentum, uh, m like, uh, engine brakes. braking brakes period. Yeah. Like all of it, it's yeah. just, it's a lot different. And, um, it's kind of like, I got to learn to ride a motorcycle. Uh, whereas before I knew how, like, you definitely have to learn where your clutch is. Yeah. Oh you yeah. You have to learn where your back brake is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hands down. Yes. You need to know where your back brake is. Uh, I even got one of those little, uh, brake relocators <laughs> because it was just like, uh, oh, the red, the, the left hand rear brake thing. No, no, no. For the, the, on the, on the, the pedal, just moving the, oh, bringing it back a bit. Yeah. A bit, yeah. yeah. And, uh, that was, that was nice. Cause like, I, I mean, ever average size foot size 10, but just, um, being on the, the balls, like, the balls of your feet mostly on the pegs, sometimes just reaching forward that little bit. I don't want to reach a full boot length. Like, yeah, you know, it's interesting. You, you said I, you know, jumped back on the stock bike today, and that's the thing I noticed straight away is I kept missing the back brake. <laughs> Fair enough, eh? Like, because yeah. it would be up there. Yeah, it's it's funny how like one one inch uh, just changes where home is. Like, yeah, yeah. When we were playing around and sort of developing those. Um, uh, we played around with different lengths and you can definitely get too close as well. Eh? Oh yeah. I believe that. Like, yeah. So then you're always stepping on it when you don't want to. Yeah. And, and like when you transfer it down to a turn, you kind of get all caught up in it and messed around. Yeah. Yeah. There it's like everything sort of, it's just like a balance, I guess. And it, it is all the setup, like lever angle and all those kinds of things, just so that when you reach, everything's exactly where you expect it. And, uh, yeah, that was yeah. a fun thing. I noticed the first time going through Canada, I've never seen people with their levers so low. Oh, really? Motorbike levers don't belong down there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, where, where do you feel they should be? Like if it was a clock face, uh, for me personally, yeah. and I'm not saying I'm right. No. Um, mine are like it. Uh, if it's a clock face, mine are at three o'clock, three o'clock, so basically parallel. 
parallel to the ground. Okay, I'll give that a try. I'll see where that's at. A lot of guys do run. Uh, yeah, if yeah, with the clock face, I would say between three and four. Okay, it's kind of where most people tend to hang out. Yeah. So one of the stories, yeah, one of the stories used to, we often tell at the riding schools is uh, you know coming back to bike setup and going back to like the Red Bull Romaniacs days. So before that race always starts, they uh, they have what they call a press conference. And so it's basically we always to go out to this quarry out the back of the city and just show off for all the journalists and goof off and, you know, just get all the photos and videos and interviews out the way and that sort of thing. Because um, it's a really hard event to, to cover and to get photos of. So, you know, you know, everyone hits the one hill once. So this time we can hit the same hill 20 times. They get all different shots, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, part of the job. Once all the journalists have cleaned it, cleared out, we'd all swap bikes and all play around. And you now you've got top 10 guys, all four corners of the globe, different heights, slightly different riding styles, that sort of thing. All the bike setups feel almost identical, like within a few millimeters of each other. And then you go and see what the hobby class guys are doing, and there's just levers and bars and pedals all over the place and huge, big changes. So it's, yeah, it was interesting. That is crazy. Like, yeah, I could. I could jump on any of the top 10 guys' bikes and ride it straight away. Okay. But then I'd jump on a hobby class guy. I'd be like, guys, I may chuck us the eight mil. I, I can't ride like this. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, and then we all do, we make all these stupid changes probably while we're upset with our, our ability, <laughs> you know, it's just like effing clutch was too far, uh, you know, so you just make a change, make a change. And then everything yeah. gets out of like, out of whack. And then yeah, it's just a hot mess. A mate of ours just just bought a recluse clutch the other day. Okay, and we're just you know we're all just picking on him, just being dicks and just you know having fun. I'm like, yeah. oh, it just makes it so much easier. I'm like, yeah, man, I bet it does make it a lot easier. You just get so much more traction. Yeah, I bet you do get more traction. Like, you know what else would make it easier and give you way more traction? It's like, yeah, what, what, what? A quad. I reckon a quad <laughs> would make make it much easier for you. That's awesome. <laughs> Ah, oh, piss off! I'm like, come on, man, just put the effort into your sport. Figure your clutch out. It's not that hard. That's awesome. It's busting his balls like uh, yeah, just been dicks. <laughs> the poor fucker. He probably didn't even see it coming, and then it's just like, oh, yeah. you sons of bitches. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, I guess COVID. Like, is COVID done there yet in in New Zealand? You guys are in like paradise. Yeah, so it, it, it's good. I mean, we, we COVID is essentially the disease, the, the plague is gone out of New Zealand yeah. and never really got much of a foothold here at all. So we kind of stamped it out pretty damn quickly. So that, that they did a really severe lockdown. The, the way that the government described it is we're going to go hard, we're going to go early. Yeah. We're not going to give this a chance. So it was full, complete, shut everything down for about four weeks, I think it was, and then gradually opening up after that. and pretty much stamped it out. It helps that we're an island in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of advantages. Yeah. Um, so day-to-day life, you'd never know there was anything happening here. There's, there, there is no COVID. If you're the type of guy that makes a living traveling around the world racing motorbikes, it's kind of a pain in the ass though. So it's still, you, we can go wherever we want. We just can't come back. So, you know, so I think it's the same thing you guys have with that, that two week quarantine. Yeah. And it's like three grand to do it, three thousand dollars to do it, and there's a ballot because they've only got so many spots. So yeah, it's kind of a ball like, um, yeah, it's definitely stamped out a lot of the fun I had planned for the last uh, last year or so. 
But having said that, you know, it's, it's allowed us to do a whole bunch of cool stuff in New Zealand that we wouldn't have done anyway. So like stuff I've been trying to get around to for years, like big trips around the South Island and that sort of thing. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it is kind of neat to, to travel your own backyard as a tourist. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Get so appreciation. That was on the, uh, on the 890. So there was, there was a bunch of us on enduro bikes and adventure bikes and they could all ride. And we did three and a half weeks um, living out of huts and tents and on that- the motorbikes. It was, yeah, we went all sorts of places, places I'd never places I'd never heard of going, places I'd always wanted to go and places I'd never heard of. And the ongoing joke was like, yes, we just achieved another goal we didn't know we had two hours ago. That's you know, <laughs> we got to the top of this mountain that we didn't even know was here. And, you know. That's pretty cool. What, what was the best yeah. spot? Like uh, uh, the, the most surprising spot, I guess. Uh, we went to this place called the, it's called the Kaharangi Lighthouse. So it's one of the probably one of the most remote places of the South Island, and it took us about a day and a half to get there. Uh, we ended up having to ride down the beach quite a long way to get, get to get to this lighthouse and big river crossings. Um, we actually took we didn't end up using it, but we bought we bought a um, a double air mattress with us tied to the back of one of the bikes. So the plan was if we got there and the rivers were too deep, we we're going to blow this airbed up and we could float the bikes across on the river and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, luckily the, the rivers weren't that deep. We didn't have to do that. But, yeah, we got to this super cool remote lighthouse in the middle of nowhere. Um, and the, there's a Department of Conservation hut out there, which is the old lighthouse keeper's house. And it's like in the middle of nowhere, you're like surrounded by nothing. And so we, we stayed there for the night and we were planning on eating like, you know, those horrible dehydrated backcountry meals. And a, a buddy and I, we just, well, we'll just walk down the beach and see what's kicking around in the rocks. And we got like, in about 10 minutes, got two bags of shellfish, like kinna and mussels and oysters and all that sort of stuff. And brought me all this fresh seafood, brought that up, cooked it up on a fire and lived like kings. That's awesome. That, that was that was freaking cool. Yeah. Should have bought a mask because I'm sure there would have been crayfish to get, but couldn't get them without a mask. Oh, yeah. Fair. And Yeah. And, and then, uh, then we crossed over the Southern Alps and spent a lot of time going up uh, river valleys, exploring up river valleys. And uh, we... Yeah, we rode all the way up this river valley for about a day, uh, which was, you know, that was pretty hard work, just boulder crashing for a day to get to this hut right at the foot of this big glacier. And, yeah, like really cool, just super, super remote places that we'd, yeah, never been able to get to previously. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Wet, wet thing for three and a half weeks was tough, though. They could barely walk by the end of it. I bet you. Yeah, like saddle sores, right? <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Uh, my, my buddy that came with me. So we did we did five to five and a half thousand k's in three and a half weeks, and he did it on his five hundred. And he got back from the ride, changed the tires, took the big tank off it, and then went and came third overall in the New Zealand cross country champs <laughs> on the same bike. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Those those cross country races are pretty hard on the bikes. They're, they're pretty nuts. They're really fast. He's like, yeah, she's she's puffing a bit of blue smoke. I'm like, I freaking bet it is. Like, we drowned it three times in the South Island. <laughs> it did like you know, two thousand k's in oil change, and now you're going racing in the national champs. Like, poor little thing. <laughs> Some guys just shouldn't be left alone with machines. Like, <laughs> nah, yeah, but again, who, who are we to tell people how to have fun with their bikes? Yeah, I think he's had the most fun out of that thing than anybody would. Yeah, that's fair. Like, like that's honestly fair. I like that way of looking at it. Who are we to tell anybody? how to have fun on their bike. Like, uh, 
Because it is. It's a it's a it's a relationship. You and your bike end up having a relationship. It becomes a buddy of yours, and then yeah, yeah. you guys go. And, and I have to I have to keep myself in check too. Like you know, you start giving people a hard time. Oh, come on, you pussy. This trail will be fine. Ah, what are you scared of? I'm like, hang on. Who am I to tell this guy this is the fun? You know. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't want to do this. <laughs> well, maybe he's intimidated by your what you think is easy. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, I, mean, I definitely have a different idea of fun at times. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. I've been, been through a few friends on mountain bikes for that stuff too. Like, that was a great ride. What do you mean? We only rode our bikes for an hour. Yeah, but we, look at this place we got to. But we carried them the whole time. <laughs> it's it's like you said. It's like it's the ride. It's the getting there. It's like yeah, yeah. nothing else. So what does it matter? Like if you get to the top yeah. of a mountain uh, and you had to push the bike up to the top, like you got there. If you enjoyed mm. it, then that's good enough, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, so, could could I get you to tell the story of the narcos? <laughs> uh, yeah, which one? Uh, well, I know you have a few. I actually, but, yeah, yeah, it's a bit sketchy, and it makes me sound like a sketchy dude. But I know um, you're not. Like, uh, um, yeah. So when I so I worked as a, I think you guys call it a millwright in Canada. So yep. we call it a fitter turner. So like like a. Uh, industrial engineer sort of thing, like not, you know, an overalls engineer, not a computer and calculators engineer. Okay. You know, dirty stuff. Um, And I started doing the writing schools more and more and uh, started, uh, you know, traveling more and more. And it got to the point where I I couldn't work full time. I was just, I needed too much time off. And I I actually got the sack from my job. Okay. I I came back from Erzberg and uh, there was a guy at my desk. (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) I'm your replacement. (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> um so yeah money was pretty tight but um uh, luckily i have a very supportive wife and uh a friend of mine I, I met a guy in mexico and he's like hey come to mexico come to riding schools like, okay so we traveled over to mexico and did a whole bunch of riding and exploring and did these riding schools and there was a, a guy on the school um i think his name was juan we'll call him juan and he looped his bike out during the one of these hill climbs in a really funny way. Like it was a really funny crash. You could see clearly he wasn't hurt. So it's perfectly okay to laugh. Yeah. But nobody else was laughing and they all just went running over and tried to help him. I'm like in stitches on the side of the track, like can't contain myself. And he just looks up at me and has this big smile on his face and it's all cool and, you know, all good. And so we do these schools and I, and I go back home and all that sort of stuff. And then I get a phone call from my mate from Mexico. He's like, hey, man, remember that guy that looped out on the hill climb? Yeah, yeah, man, I remember that. He goes, he really likes the way you treated him, how he was just like one of the boys. Can you come? He wants to do more coaching with you. Can you come to Mexico this weekend? And this is like on a Wednesday. But uh, okay, sure, why not? And so they, and they send the ticket through and I jump on a plane and I fly to Mexico for the weekend. And take the guy riding and do a bit of coaching with him and, you know, just have a good time and lots of jokes and that sort of stuff. And then we're sitting around this table at this, at this, rest, at this restaurant afterwards on a Sunday and like we're all having a big chat and all back and forth. And there was no break in the conversation whatsoever, no eye contact, but he just, the suit just taps me on the leg and just put, gives me like a massive roll of hundies under the table. That's awesome. Okay. Put that in the pocket, fly back home to New Zealand. Like, happy times and got the rent covered for the next two months. We are good to go. Um, and that, that ended up happening, uh, I think at, at least twice, might've been three times. And then eventually he just disappeared. Oh God. Uh, just 
just vanished. Um, yeah, left all his motorbikes in the shop and just no one ever heard from him again. So it's, yeah. That's one of those things. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't be a narco. It doesn't end well. And then, uh, yeah, ended up uh, in, we were in Guatemala. Um, same thing. It was, the, it was the Latin American Enduro Champs. So we got over there a week early, did some riding schools. So the, the kind of the way I ended up working things out was, you know, I got this opportunity to go and do this race. The organizers will pay for me to get there. They'll sort out a bike, but we can't really afford to pay. I'm like, okay, cool. Can I come early? Can I do some riding schools so I've got home with something in my pocket? Yeah, yeah, great. All good. So that was kind of like my my um, my pattern, my, my plan to get to do these things while still being able to pay the bills. Um, so we do the riding schools and, you know, then the plan was just to go and goof off and explore around Guatemala for the week before the Latin American champs. And uh, this guy rings up my friend, hey, I heard you do riding schools. I need you to come. I need you to teach me and my two friends. I don't care how much it costs. We need to make this happen. Please come. Like, well, okay then. And we, we go off to this other town, into this big gated community, to this place with this like 12-foot high fence at the back. I'm like, oh, God, this looks sketchy. Knock on the gate gate opens up. Oh, here's the guy all happy. He's, okay, here's the deal. I can ride really good. No problems with my riding. It's these two guys. They suck, and they have to come with me for me to go riding. And the two guys were his bodyguards. Fair. Neither neither of which had any interest in riding motorbikes, but the boss wants to go riding, and he can't be by himself because he's this big-time narco dude, so we have to be able to keep up. It was loose, man, but the whole time we were riding, these guys had these big, like, gold-plated pistols on their holster and, like, two clips of ammo on the other side. And I, I couldn't get out of there fast enough. We ended up staying the night at this guy's place in the, in the, in the guest accommodation, and he put on this really, really good feed for us. And, but back then, I could eat for my country. Like, I, you know, you know, skinny, skinny guy, always active. You know, no money. So if there's food going, I'm eating it. Yeah. So I'm ratting around the kitchen afterwards, trying to find the, the cutlery drawer to go and just demolish those leftovers. And you know, when you're going through someone's house and you're kind of like you're looking for the cutlery drawer, and you're kind of like half open drawers, and you just you're trying to find the heavy one. Yeah. Because the heavy one's generally the cutlery drawer. You bet. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going through opening all these drawers. Oh yeah, that's the heavy one. Oh no, that's not the cutlery. That's the one full of loose ammo. So we'll just shut that one. <laughs> Ah man, it was scary. I couldn't couldn't not wait to get out of there. <laughs> it's got to be a feeling, man. Like just knowing that these guys are afraid to die, <laughs> and you're their guest. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but it's weird because they're all really nice people. Yeah, but oh, one yeah. one on one, they're great dudes, and they have sense of humor, living life, happy people, generous. Yeah, but yeah, at the same time, like. Mm, Probably don't want to be here too much longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Count your blessings and uh, make yeah, your way. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And like, uh, <laughs> I was thinking uh, about Erzberg when you were talking about how you lost your job because you you'd won that, which is hilarious. Like, <laughs> come back from Erzberg, everything is great. You have no more job. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. So I didn't. I should be clear. I never won Erzberg. Oh the, no, sorry, not one. But you came back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I made a mistake yeah, so there. The best I ever did it. The best I ever did at Erzberg was eighth. That's sweet. So the first year I did it, I finished eighth. The second year I did it, I led the first half of it and then just hit the wall so hard. Oh. I was nowhere near fit enough and uh, managed to drag my carcass to the finish line in eighth. Uh, the next year I DNF'd. I didn't finish. I broke, bust the motorbike, and then the last time I did it, I 
it was the one of the toughest things I've ever done. Only nine people finish it, and then I finished eighth. That's awesome. All right, okay. I think I'm good with Erzberg. That's enough eighth place finishes. I don't need any more eighths. A solid eight. So, yeah. But that's yeah. <laughs> well, the first time yeah, the, uh, going over there, I was like, okay, go, I was talking to my boss. So Red Bull gave me the opportunity to go over there. They were going to, uh, you know, pay for my flight. KTM had a bike sorted and Red Bull was going to pay for a, pay for a, uh, a rental car to get me there. I'm like, hey, sweet. Like I can do this, you know, if I can get in a big enough car, I can sleep in the back of it. This will work. Let's go. Um, and I asked for the time off work and my boss was like, no, you can't go. I said, oh, like, I've got to be honest, man. I'm not really asking for permission. I'm kind of telling you what I'm going to go and do. Yeah. And he said, I love, if you go, you're not going to have a job when you come back. I was like, ah, that sounds like a bluff to me. <laughs> so I went and I came back and yeah, in the time I'd been in Erzberg, they'd already hired my replacement, That's which true. in the end was a, in the end was a blessing. Like it made me, double down and work harder on the writing schools and, and on the writing. I'm like, okay, let's, let's make, let's make a proper go at this now. Cause the, the engineering stuff's clearly not working anymore. Let, let's go for it. That's yeah. sweet. Oh, sorry. I misspoke and said one. Um, like, yeah, that's right. I, yeah. Yeah. You I just, it. I've had a few people sort of go, ah, oh, you've won. Who's like, nah, mate, I have not won. Well, Uzbek. if you finished man in, in mortal terms, that's a win. Like, yeah, you, know. you definitely celebrate it like yeah. a win. Yeah, yeah. It might not be the top. So the guy never won it. <laughs> yeah, fuck anybody who just participates, man. Like, uh, they they all seem pretty stoked that they made it there. And if you get across the line, yeah. that's got to be like the best feeling ever. Like, oh, it is. Yeah, like, it is because then you know it's finished. Yeah, <laughs> you there's don't no do more. Anymore. Yeah, there's <laughs> no more. But like, uh, yeah, it just seems like such a crazy event uh, in the fact that like you could never learn the track. Because as soon as you go away, they're blasting it with dynamite to change it. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's like, yeah. it's just insane. And I, I feel for a guy like, like for someone where you are in the world, all these races would be like equivalent to somebody from where I am trying to get to them. Cause like the logistics, the flying from one continent to another, the costs and all that kind of stuff. Like it's sweet yeah. that you got support from KTM and Red Bull and, I don't know anybody who was in your shoes that would have stayed to work that Monday and not gone to the race. Like maybe in a parallel universe, there's a different Chris Birch, but like, yeah, I hope, he, I hope he's miserable. He gets what comes from. Probably. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like I guarantee he's miserable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's, it's good. Like, you know, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I was very, very fortunate to have that support from Red Bull and the support from KTM. Yeah. But it was a two edged sword as well. Cause I, People look at you, oh, you know, you're a Red Bull athlete. Oh, you're, you're, you're sponsored by KDM. You know, how big is your mansion? Yeah. I assume you came here by private jet. But no. No. I, I, I get this help from these guys, but, but the best way to, best story to back this up. Um, so when I was in Erzberg to do that, I, I was at the KTM factory and uh, there was a, I was waiting in reception on this guy and there was a guy from South Africa there. And he was having a big whinge about how much it had cost him to get uh, a taxi from the airport out to KTM to visit the factory. So I, I had like no money whatsoever, but I had this rental car by Red, from Red Bull. So I said, oh, if you fill the tank out with gas and you buy me lunch, I'll give you a lift back into town on my, on my way to the race. And so we do this. And the whole way there, he's talking to me about the roof of Africa. 
um, you know, going on about how great the roof of Africa is and how I must come over and do the roof of Africa and what an amazing, amazing race it is. I said, yeah, man, it sounds fucking unreal. I'd love to do it. Um, let's, you know, we exchanged emails and that sort of stuff. And he, he kept hammering me. He's like, come on, you've got to come and do this race. You've got to come and do this race. And I, I said, look, I'm sorry. I, I just don't have any money. Like, I, I can't do this. Yeah. And I think he thought I was trying to brush him off because, again, you know, Red Bull guy, KTM, yeah. you must have all the money yeah. in the world. And in the end, I ended up taking a, a screenshot of my bank account and I had like six bucks in my bank account. I'm like, dude, I'm not trying to fob you off. I just genuinely don't have any money. That's crazy. Um, and uh, it all went quiet. And uh, he it went quiet for several months. They sent me another email. He said, look, if you can get yourself here, get yourself to South Africa. Once you get here, everything's taken care of. Oh, okay, well, this, this sounds cool. So I I did Romaniacs, uh, and I won enough prize money in Romaniacs to sort of cover the rent for a bit and to afford the airfare to to uh, South Africa. So went over there, flew over there, and when I got there, this guy had put together this whole package for me, and it was just him and his buddies. Um, so I was sponsored by a pet store, uh, uh, a bottle shop, like a you know liquor yeah. store, um, a bearings shop and this company called Pambeka, which is basically this guy rented out all these slums around Johannesburg. That's it's pretty much just a slum lord. lord. Yeah. Um, and this local bike shop called The Roost, which are a real good bunch of dudes. And they, I, was, I was introduced to them. And they're like, yep, yeah, we're a riding team with a drinking habit. Oh, okay. <laughs> and the, the one guy, the one guy had just bought a new 300. And they just all ganged up on him and bullied this guy into letting me race his bike. And, uh, yeah, so we got a, uh, got a camper and, uh, went out there and, and did the race and it was really, it was a really cool experience because all these guys, like, there was like 15 of us there. It was just all these guys' mates just all got together and I didn't realize it, but they'd approached KTM South Africa for some help with the bike and they'd said, no, we can't help. Um, so we, they, they kind of set up this whole us versus them scenario and, they were such hooligans. They'd actually, they just about got banned from the roof of Africa the year before because they got that drunk. They um, they smuggled some petrol into the hotel where the event's based and got this display bike going inside the casino, which was a 950 Super Enduro, and started racing the Super Enduro around the uh, the hotel in the middle of the night. And like these guys, they just they were totally just there for the party. Um, so the, the roof of Africa is three days and. I went out and I won the first day by like 12 minutes. And the, and the guys in the team were like, half of them were like, fuck yes, this is amazing. And the other half were like, oh no, what a pain in the ass. Like now we're going to have to be at the right place at the right time. And we, oh, we're going to not, we can't get, you know, we're going to have to be like Similar. on our game. What a, dude, does this dickhead not know why we're here? We're here for a laugh, not to race. Oh no. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the owner of KTM South Africa came walking up the pits to kind of find this Kiwi guy that had, you know, won the first day. And one of the guys who was already, like, up to his neck in brandy and coke sees this guy walking down the pits. It's like, no, turn around. You had your fucking chance. Don't come down here. Oh, God. This guy's are a fucking nightmare. Uh, but uh, I'm sorry, I'm painting them out to be a nightmare. But they were just re- they were really nice, really generous dudes, really fun guys. But they were just there for a party, not for a race. No, I get it. Yeah, they seem awesome. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. 
They're just... and they, they're, they're, yeah, I don't mean to paint them out negatively. They're very good people. But, you know, pissheads, but good people. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, so he ended up, uh, ended up winning the race overall. And so you imagine the after party, like these guys went from basically being banned and thinking they were just going for a good time to winning the roof of Africa, which is like, it's like, it's a big event in South Africa. Like it's on the national TV. Yeah. The results of the roof of Africa will be on the national news sort of thing. So it's a real big thing for them. And, you know, a bunch of party animals went and won it. It was that was probably one of the most fun races I've ever done. One of the most fun experiences on a motorbike. That's awesome. That is awesome. Like, uh, yeah, man. Well, they sound like they were a lot of fun. Like they, Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Great people. Yeah. yeah. And the lunatics. I was going to say, yeah, but they steal a motorcycle and rip it around. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, yeah, you got to experience Africa as well to understand it. Like you can just get away with anything over there. Anything goes. Okay. That's a little which bit is, Which is good and bad. Yeah, I yeah. understand. Yeah. yeah. Too much freedom can be terrible. Exactly. Because the, the really, you know, the cheeky people have the freedom and can have a whole bunch of fun. The really nasty, naughty people have a bunch of freedom. They can get away with some really naughty, nasty stuff. So That's fair enough. Which yeah. is where all the all the stories of South Africa come in. There you go. But yeah, that, that was cool because that, that, that kind of – I ended up uh, winning the Roof of Africa three years in a row, um, which obviously got me a, a lot of um, – What's the word? Attention. People in South Africa. Attention, yeah. People in South Africa knew who I was. And from there, I, uh, I got the opportunity to go and live in South Africa for two years and, and race full time over there. Oh, wow. That, that was that was amazing. Yeah. That was the, the, the probably the only time in my life I've been a, for two years, I was a professional motorbike racer. You know, n- no worries about money, just paid to race. It was freaking cool. That is cool. That That's like. Yeah, that would be pretty nice. Well, yeah, whilst living in South in Africa and uh, getting to explore Africa, which was such a cool experience. So, but yeah, the, the really good thing with it is, I was, we were contracted to race two series, which essentially meant so that they had one round a month each. So basically, all that meant is I had to race, had to work two weekends a month, <laughs> which was kind of cool. <laughs> Sounds like a scam. Like if, if they're yeah, like recruiting, it was like this is just too good to be true. Yeah, and I remember talking to my wife for like this. It seems too good to be true. I can't believe this is gonna this is gonna happen. And Monica was like, she's much smarter than me. She's like, well, if it is too good to be true, and it sucks when we get over there, we'll just come home. Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. If it doesn't work, we'll just come home. Okay, and and it did work, and it was great. They're yeah, again, really really cool people. She's put up with a lot with you, hey. Like yeah yeah yeah, yeah I mean I like any relationship that's rough and the smooth like yeah she puts up with a lot for sure but she gets a lot out of it as well yeah well she gets to hang out with you every day almost days like well, yeah. that's, that's probably most possibly more the rough with the smooth you know she gets to travel <laughs> around the world and lots of stuff you know we're, we're lucky that we have a we've carved out a nice life together that's sweet yeah partners in crime like yeah uh, yeah like she has as much uh, respect and street cred here as you do so. Uh, that says something. <laughs> yeah, I think she's made a good impact yeah, in, in yeah. Canada. Yeah. Just from being herself. Like, she's just a fun, loving person. And she, what, what I really love about Monica is you can chuck her in any situation and she'll figure out a way to make it fun. Oh, that's really good. Like, that's Especially a- if my daughter's there with her too. Like, she just, oh, yeah. okay, what's something fun we can do here? Because I chuck her in some pretty weird situations. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You brought her to Canada. 
like <laughs> to Southern yeah, Alberta. Yeah. Like, but, um, yeah. <laughs> to live in a caravan for four months <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with a truck that looks like it's going to break down at a moment's notice. <laughs> no doubt. Most people can't survive a renovation of the kitchen and <laughs> you just take yeah, yeah. that thing around here. Uh, well, um, I feel like I've, I've taken up a, a good chunk of your time, Chris, and I, I really appreciate that you even gave any of it to me, man. Like, uh, it was, it, yeah, it was nice to get to know you. Um, there are people like who want to say hi, like it's a long list. So I'm just going to forego that and <laughs> just like, let you know, oh, yeah. there's a lot of people here who, who, who send their love and can't wait for you to come back. Um, yeah, we, we, we miss Canada dearly. And as soon as it works, as soon as it's possible, we'll be there. Um, yeah, my daughter was in tears the other night because she doesn't, she's realized she can't go to Canada this year. Oh, gee. So yeah, we'll, we will be back as soon as it's possible. And, you know, hello, hello to all the friends and, you know, we love you dearly and we miss you guys. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. I want to thank my guests for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. A special thank you to you, my supporters. Without you, this would not be possible. If you enjoyed the show, give it a five-star rating. And if you haven't already, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. If this is your first time listening, I encourage you to take the three-episode challenge. Once again, thank you for your continued support, and stay tuned to find out what's coming up next time.